Uh, The Bible reading tonight is Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre, As the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, good evening, everyone uh, here at Kirui and online. My name's Stuart. I'm also one of the pastors here at Soul Revival, and it's a very exciting uh, passage that we have tonight as we continue to go through January and ask ourselves the question, how do we be Christians in this world today? We've had various topics that we've covered over the last few weeks, and tonight we're going to be looking at how do we as Christians live in a world of financial insecurity? What do we do when we face financial security? And as Ethan said uh, earlier in the service, uh, you may or may not be a follower of Jesus here tonight, and I always find that sermons apply uh, really well to Christians and non-Christians, because people who are still searching into what is Jesus all about will find a great deal of value in the sermon tonight in understanding how Christians see the world. So I think that it's a good thing to have a conversation about faith. It's also terrific if you, have, if you are a Christian and if you have friends or family who aren't Christians uh, who ask a question, it's a really good way to answer that question is, of course, talk to them about it, but also say, oh, I want to come along to church and check it out. Uh, more and more people these days are becoming less and less familiar with church and what Christians actually teach. So we really encourage you to, if, if you're a Christian, to help make this place a safe place for people of faith and people who don't have faith. Well, let's have a look at the uh, topic of financial insecurity and see what the Bible has to say about that topic tonight. Uh, it seems like we're constantly bombarded by headlines about potential financial insecurity at the moment. I don't know if you watch the news or read newspapers, but there always seems to be some story each week about rising inflation or the cost of living increases or rising rents, whatever it might be, and it sometimes causes me to feel a little insecure. I don't know if you feel like that. Sometimes I watch the news and I turn the news off and I feel, I feel a little insecure after watching that. If that's not you, unreal. You must be a very robust human being. But for me, I uh, sometimes even uh, pause when I hear not only talk of financial insecurity, but sometimes people even talk of looming financial crisis. You may, on, may have not heard uh, some commentators recently saying, we're in for another GFC. Um, now, obviously, it's difficult to predict with certainty whether there will be a financial crisis in 2023 or four or five or whatever. But there are several factors that could potentially lead to a deteriorating financial situation in our world today. I wanted to just go through a few of them. One of the factors could potentially lead to financial crisis is the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic has caused widespread economic disruption. There's been a lot of job losses in certain parts of economies around the world, which has resulted in a rise of household debts, increasing default rates. Um, there's increasing inflation and it looks like that could be a contributor. People being sick and not being able to be at work looks like a contributor to, um, what do they call it, production line things, when they stop the line of the production thing? What do they call that? Supply chain. That's the word I was looking for. I did do economics at university, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> supply chain factors. Wow, I lay awake at night worrying about my supply chains. <laughs> Another factor could potentially lead to financial crisis is the ongoing trade tensions between major economies, rising powers, falling powers, wars, famines, all that kind of thing. Increasing global debt levels, potential for rising interest rates. Um, also, the rise of global economic inequality, which could lead to social unrest and even social uh, conflict. 
which could lead to more financial crises. So they're just a few of the things that I've been reading in the newspaper that could contribute to you and I feeling a little unsettled. Sometimes we tuck those things in the back of our mind and don't think about it much, but it, it, it's actually quite concerning. So the question today is whether there's a crisis or not, financial instability and insecurity can actually provide us with uh, a little deal of insecurity. So how do we deal with our personal anxiety about finances? When our finances aren't going well, it might not be some of these global factors, it might even just be our private circumstance that might be affected by ill health, it may be affected by uh, uh, losing a job or family members losing a job. How do we deal with it when we are up against it with finances? Well, I've got three passages that I hope might encourage us tonight. And two of them are from the Old Testament. It's Proverbs chapter 10 and 28. And also I'm going to dive into the passage that we heard read tonight from Matthew chapter 6. Proverbs 10 encourages us that wise living will buffer us from times of financial hardship. And it encourages us to try and be wise with how we spend our money. Proverbs 28 encourages us that while we try to have wise living with our money for our own financial security, it's a good thing in times of financial hardship to think of other people, not just ourselves. And to think, how can I help other people that might be doing it tough, even maybe doing it tougher than me? And finally, in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to find tonight that we are encouraged that ultimately our security is in God. And that if we try and use our financial resources for security, we will be constantly frustrated, as you heard Jesus speak about that in the reading tonight. So let's dive back into Proverbs chapter 10. Now, if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open up your Bible to Proverbs chapter 10. Some of these verses will come on the screen, but it's always good to read along with the preacher so that you can actually be uh, not only reading along for yourself, but you might even want to take notes in your Bible. Um, I know iPhones with version have a potential that you can you know, highlight things and stuff too. So... That can help your reading later and your growth as you meditate on God's word during the week because that's what we'd really love by the way that we develop practices that we don't just listen to a sermon and then go home but we might actually take that on board and think you know that's a pretty cool thing to think about for the week how does how do I put that into practice when I'm at work in my family what difference does it make to my anxiety levels on Tuesday rather than just right now on Saturday so let's have a look at Proverbs chapter 10 as with all the Proverbs, which we've been focusing on in January, we've thought it'd be great to have a bit of a series in the Proverbs for this. Proverbs 10 is a collection of wise sayings and teachings that provide us with guidance for living a virtuous life. Now, they're very generalised statements and some real key wisdom. And some of the key themes in this chapter of chapter 10 include the importance of hard work, the dangers of laziness, and the value of wisdom. So let's have a look at those three concepts here in chapter 10 because I think that will actually help us to buffer ourselves against financial insecurity. So to begin with have a look at uh, Proverbs chapter 10 verse 1 be up on the screen. We're told that Solomon has written this proverb as with many others and, a and he says a wise son brings joy to his father but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. It's a very memorable saying he's, really, he's really good with words Solomon really punchy lots of stuff in there. But I just want to say, let's be careful of this verse as we begin. Because you may be thinking that actually it's a wise thing for a child to live according to what the parents think is wise. But the caveat I would put on that, that I think Solomon has implicit in the passage is, a wise child needs a wise parent 
and elsewhere in scripture already in, in the first nine chapters of Proverbs 10, there's been definition after definition of being a wise parent as someone who wants the heart of God, who sees wisdom as God sees it. So the danger in this verse is sometimes our parents give us financial advice that's not always super helpful. Sometimes uh, our parents aren't Christians, so just pleasing a parent is not always exactly what this passage is trying to say because a greedy parent may actually create a greedy child. So financial wisdom is not necessarily to bring joy to the father slash mother in the first instance, but a father or mother who has the heart of God. So that's really important that I make that point as we look at that. But there's this sense here too in this first verse that there, is a, there are two ways to live, which is what uh, is a constant refrain in Proverbs. There's wisdom and there's foolishness. Now, obviously, on the outset, if we are careful and wise, we are going to be actually able to uh, go through hard times with more clarity, more sobriety, more confidence and less emotion. And so speaking plainly and clearly about that at the beginning of this section sets us up really well for the three points that come out of this particular passage about wisdom. First of all, it's really important to be wise. Secondly, in verses 4 to 5, have a look at the passage there as it comes up on screen. Wisdom is contrasted in verses 4 to 5 with laziness. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He or she who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son or daughter, but he or she who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son or daughter. So the idea there is that if you work hard when the sun is shining, so to speak when the crop's ready to come in, the wheat's in the field, and you go out and you gather that, common sense would say, if you work hard and gather the crop of wheat, you will have an abundance in your barns after the harvest. However, if you look at that wheat and think, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow, and a flood sweeps through your, your field the next day, you could lose the whole thing and be left with nothing. And so this stuck. Uh, dichotomy here is giving us a contrast that during times of financial harvest it's a good idea to work hard and in fact if you have a work ethic that is developed during those times when there's times of not plenty working hard is not a bad response as well the second thing the Proverbs 10 says about the dangers of low, uh, laziness here uh, is extended in verses 26 and 27. Have a look at this. This is quite strong language. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eye, so are sluggards, <laughs> lazy people, to those who send them. The fear of the Lord adds length to the life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Now, we might read into this a whole heap of ethical information, but the proverb here is simply saying to us, the, the, the reality is that if, if we do work for ourselves and put the shoulder to the plough, so to speak, as much as we can in our life, as much as we can, then we will reap a reward for that work. And if we neglect our duties, the common sense consequence is that there will be less as a result. So strong words to make a very clear uh, statement about negative consequences for both the individual and for those people who are around them. In addition to the themes of hard work and laziness, Proverbs 10 also stresses the value of wisdom. So let's have a look at verse 13 and 14. It comes up on the screen. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of the one who has no sense. 
The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool invites ruin. Here, wisdom and foolishness is contrasted from the sense that a wise person only has to speak, and that speech is helpful to other people. But the rod for the back is a reference to corporal punishment of incarceration of somebody who is so foolish that rather than working hard, they're looking to uh, grow their wealth through ill-gained means, through robbery, through stealing, through extortion, through whatever it might be. The proverb says that if, if you do act wisely, that will end up storing up wealth for yourself. But the mouth of a fool invites ruin. And see there in that last section, it's contrasted to the, the lips of the wise. So when a, a fool actually speaks, rather than being helpful to another person, a fool actually brings derisiveness and division on themselves. In fact, ruin. That's what the proverb's trying to talk about. So these verses are highlighting wisdom in making good decisions and avoiding foolish mistakes. And just like Jesus does in his parables and in his teaching, sometimes he uses really stark opposites to try and make a point. So he's not necessarily trying to polarise us into one camp or another. He's just making a point through very extreme differences, if that makes sense. But overall, in chapter 10, we're encouraged to try and make good decisions in life in general. Try and make good decisions. It's not that we always do. It's not that always the bad decisions lead to us getting thrown in jail. But the idea is that as best we can, we try and make good decisions. And the application for this verse is that um, hard work is a good thing. And the value of wisdom is still relevant today because in a financial crisis, wisdom can help us to be focused on making right decisions with what we have. Try and make the most of what we have and work as hard as we can humanly possible to protect ourselves from financial situations that are bleak. So in other words, I think a summary of this in application is it's a good thing to invest in the future. It's a good thing to save money. It's a good thing to have a job if you can get one. If you don't have a job, it's still a good thing to try and make wise choices with the use of your money. So rather than just saying, oh, I'm just going to live for today and whatever happens tomorrow, I don't care, I'm just going to blow all my money and you know, live for right now, the wise is actually helping me to think ahead a little bit here. So the context there is do everything you can to try and help yourself. Now later in the New Testament we're going to find, not tonight, but later on uh, as we read through the New Testament uh, another time, there's lots of different passages about the fact that if hard times fall on someone and while they are trying to work as hard as they can and they are being wise, if they are actually taking responsibility for their life and working as hard as they can with what they have, and if they find themselves in a terrible situation they can't get themselves out of, it is actually up to wise, godly people and righteous people to try and help other people. And that's what the second proverb here in chapter 28 of Proverbs covers. And there's three main points here, but they reinforce the importance of honesty and integrity of someone no matter what the situation is. So in other words, if you experience a financial insecurity and crisis and your response is to bring the drawbridge up, shut down the moat, close the fort, make sure you're, you know, fort you, throw the flag up, fort you is at home and keep everybody out and don't worry about anyone else but stand on your parapet and watch what happens to the chaos of the people around you, that is not a righteous thing to do. So through your wisdom and your hard work, you may have been able to build up resources for yourself. 
But here we're told that honesty and generosity in times of financial insecurity are also really important. Let's have a look at verses 6 and 8 from Proverbs 28. Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. A discerning son heeds instruction, but a companion of gluttons disregards his father. Whoever increases wealth by taking interest or profit from the poor amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. Now, again, we don't have time to delve into the depths of this passage, but what I want to bring out to you today is kind of the big idea of this little section. The idea is it's better to be poor and blameless than to be rich and perverse. It's better to be poor and blameless than to be rich and perverse. And there is a kind of perversity that is a self-indulgent rich person who has amassed all their wealth for themselves and they don't care about anybody else. Verse 7, a discerning son or daughter heeds instruction but the companion of gluttons disgraces his father or his mother. In other words, if I live completely for my own satisfaction and I live for my own comfort and I make all my decisions based on what makes me happy, I may actually be living according to the detriment of other people. But my selfishness may blind me to the needs of other people. And so in verse 8, this strange saying, whoever increases wealth by taking interest or profit from the poor amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor, is a clear call to a follower of God to not simply amass wealth, and especially amass wealth by taking it off the poor, but rather we should amass wealth to help other people. So the purpose in actually working hard and gaining financial reward is ultimately not for our own self-preservation, but so we can help other people. It's really good these days, there's a lot more talk about where our clothes come from, where our shoes come from. It's really interesting how we still haven't finished that debate by any means, but it's good we're starting to have it. Because I remember growing up, I didn't know where Nike shoes were made, didn't even care. I was just trying to save up enough money to buy those expensive shoes so that my friends would think I was cool. And as benign as that sounds, that is a super, super consumeristic, selfish way to live, really that I want the right brands so that I might look good to other people and it might make me feel cool. To my shame, I remember actually not being friends with people who didn't wear the right brands in the 80s. Now that might sound a bit strange in 2023, but when brands first came about, it was the 1980s. In a bygone era, nobody really cared what label someone had on their clothes, but for some reason, I don't know why, all of a sudden having a billabong on my shirt and my shorts was so important to me that if someone had Mambo on their shorts, I think it was, or Mango or something like that, I can't even remember, if someone wore a Mango pair of shorts, I knew they bought them from Best and Less and that they weren't as rich as me because I'd bought mine at a surf shop and I had a Billabong brand, which was a higher level surfer than the person who couldn't afford it. Likewise, in soccer, I was dead set sad that I only had a pair of Tiger shoes when all my friends had Adidas shoes. But my parents, in a very loving way, said, who cares? They're football boots. <laughs> you see how insidious this thing can be? So as we listen to the extreme language in Proverbs, don't be fooled into thinking that's someone else. Someone else is that extreme. The proverb is actually meant to draw us into thinking about ourselves and thinking, who made those shoes that I wear? What life are they living? 
am I comfortable to buy those shoes so I might preen around in Miranda Fair looking cool when someone might be sleeping underneath a table and getting two cents a shoe or something like that and not even having enough to eat? I think it's good we're having that conversation now because that's the conversation God actually wants us to have. That we rich people in the West need to consider people who are less, uh, who have less money than we do. People who work hard, people who use their wisdom, people who do all the things the proverb's suggesting but just don't have the breaks to get what we have in our country. These verses emphasise that we need to be honest about ourselves and not hide our heads in the sand. I wasn't very good at explaining these kind of things earlier on in my ministry, but I remember when we were young at Sorrel Vival and we were all skaters and we used to wear skate shoes. Now, we were quite proud of the fact that our skate shoes were cheaper than running shoes. That's a bit of pride right there anyway, but at least we were having a go at trying to put this kind of concept into action. But then as the prices of skate shoes escalated from $30 a shoe to $250 a shoe, I remember as a young youth minister saying to our youth community one day, are we cool wearing $250 shoes? And if you wonder what the alternative is, I'm not saying we all should do this, but what if we all bought volleys instead? What if we made volleys cool because they were cheap and they were actually maybe made in Australia and the people who were making them were actually earning a bit more money than the people who were making these $250 skate shoes in another country? Not to take work off them, but... I was just exploring that ethical situation. Oh my goodness, did all hell break loose. I was accused of being a cult leader. I was accused of saying we all had to wear the same thing and you could only wear what Stuart told you to wear. And I tell you that story because that's the sinfulness of the human heart, isn't it? We always try and find excuses why we don't want to live the way God is calling us to live when it comes to our money. Why is that? Why does our money have so much hold over us? Well, the Proverbs go on in verse 15 to 16 and describe this. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a helpless people. See, sinfulness is like a very powerful thing. And when a ruler has given themselves over to sinfulness, they also become terrifying, as the beasts described in verse 15. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear. We just went to Yosemite uh, last year and I was terrified in Yosemite. My family laughed at me because they think I'm a bit silly. But if a black bear came out of the bush, I'm like, I'm running. I'm not looking after no one. I'm out of here. Now, I'm exaggerating for effect. I wasn't really saying that. But I I was really thinking, oh, gee, what happens if a bear runs out of the woods? You know, a bear is the kind of animal that has no actual care for its prey. It will completely put aside any ethical decisions in order to feed. And if I happened to be the KFC on the block, it wouldn't even think twice about devouring me. And unfortunately, that's what's lurking deep within the human heart. That sort of dark selfishness we are all capable of. Now, you might want to disagree with me on that later. I'd really be okay if you do. But a tyrannical ruler practices exaltation, (laughs) Extortion, thank you, thank you, extortion. But the one who hates ill-gotten gain will enjoy a long reign. Now, the funny thing about that verse 16 is if we act like an animal that needs to protect itself when it's cornered, we actually won't enjoy a long life. But if we are a ruler or a person even who is actually quite happy with what we've got after our hard work and we've done our best, 
and we're not seeking to extort ill-gotten gain, God will bless us with a long life. Now, does that mean long life in years on earth? Not always. But a long life in eternity, definitely, and we'll get to that in just a moment. These, these verses warn against the dangers of oppressing the poor and highlight the consequence of these actions. Moving along, we come to the reading tonight in Matthew chapter 6. Developing a good spiritual practice in times of financial security help us fight anxiety is what I call this section. And what I mean by this is if we've understood the teachings of Proverbs 10 and Proverbs 28, that we're seeking to live a wise life, not a foolish one, seek to look after other people rather than just look after ourselves, then we need to actually rely on Jesus for our security and not ourselves. A black bear could let me walk past on the path if it knows it has a better meal coming and it doesn't need to eat me because I think I'd be a little fatty and grisly. I'm a little old and I'm a little fat and there wouldn't be a lot of meat on me, I don't reckon. But if the bear knows it's got a big, nice meal coming, it might let me just walk past. How does a bear not just jump at the first opportunity? Because in times of financial crisis, we can actually become a little panicked and anxious and we can flail around a little bit. You know the old saying that says, be careful, you know, when you do your bronze medallion, they tell you this, that be careful if someone's drowning in the water, don't jump off the boat to try and save them because that person will probably push you under. Have you heard that one before? I think that's where some of this comes from too. It's not just evil that's abiding in our heart like a raging lion or a bear. It's also just the need for self-preservation that can sometimes make us act in ways that we wouldn't normally act. So how do we actually have control of our own uh, emotions to a, such an extent that if a financial crisis hits us, we're not panicked and would even be prepared to drown someone else in order to get out of a problem? Well, Matthew 6 reminds us of the importance of prayer. Not prayer that impresses other people in verse 5, but prayer that in actual fact connects us to God and what he's doing in the world. If you have a read of that passage up there, we're encouraged not to pray like hypocrites, but to love who love praying in the synagogues on the street corners, but to use prayer as it was designed. You will have your full reward if you pray in public, in grandiose ways, but if you close your door of your bedroom, you kneel down beside your bed, you say, Lord God, I am freaking out. I'm really worried about my job. That teaching here of Jesus emphasises the importance of humility and sincerity in the life of a Christian. If you want to replace those instincts for self-survival and nurture a spirituality, prayer actually helps us that we are warned against doing even prayer for gaining self-recognition and approval of others helps to train us not just to work for the approval of others and for gaining recognition. You see, that spiritual practice can actually help us when we think about money as well. If we are praying for the sake of growing a relationship with God, we will actually probably do everything else in our life like that too. Moving along quickly, I don't know if you ever fast as a Christian, but it's a practice encouraged by Jesus. And likewise with prayer, he says in verse 16, if you fast, don't look sombre as a hypocrite does, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're, facing, they're fasting. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward in full. What is the point of fasting? Well, it was at once a spiritual practice that uh, the people of Jesus' time were also using to try and big note themselves about how religious they are. 
So if you saw someone walking around with a sackcloth on and ashes on their head and are tired and they're sick, oh, people go, wow, you're really godly. You're going without food so that you can pray. And we do a version of that, don't we? You know, you come to Bible study and people say, how are you going? Oh, really tired. Oh, why are you tired? Oh, I'm fasting at the moment. Oh, okay. Wow, why are you fasting? That's not a common Christian practice these days. Well, I figure I really want to get close to God in my relationship and I want to shut out the noise of the world (laughs) by drawing attention to myself. (laughs) No, if you're going to fast and you're going to miss a meal so that you can pray instead of eating that, that particular meal, consult your doctor. Don't hurt your body. But if you think that this world and all its pleasures is getting in the way of Jesus... A very common Christian practice that's been done over centuries is to miss a meal or two to pray and when the hunger pains come, it reminds you of your hunger for God. is more important than your hunger for material things. And funnily enough, prayer and fasting can actually both help you to orientate yourself spiritually in times of financial crisis. Adding to this, Jesus goes on and talks about giving to the needy in similar ways in verse 3 to 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So in other words, if you are going to help somebody in a time of crisis like Proverbs 28 has taught us to do, don't go around telling everybody about it. This is the problem I have with philanthropy. I really struggle with it. I think at once it's a really good thing for people who have billions of dollars to give to the poor, but it seems like they're always telling everybody about it. Maybe not everyone, but it seems to me that sometimes to give to the poor can actually make yourself look really righteous. But again, it's interesting that when you think about it, having a lot of money actually gives you status, like I was talking about earlier with my Billabong T-shirt, and having less money gives you less status. The danger is that if a Christian has lost a bit of money and I'm not quite as rich as somebody else, I might try and gain their acceptance by looking super spiritual within that position. Do you see the thing? But what I'm doing really is I'm actually living for the affirmation of other people when I love money. I'm looking for other people to say, wow, you've really made it. I'm looking for other people to say, you are really secure because you know what? All of us deep down know that money doesn't actually give us security. The best example of that is Steve Jobs. If I've ever seen an example of someone whose money doesn't give them security, it's Steve Jobs. He was one of my heroes growing up. He made Apple products that I still use to this day. I'm still a massive Apple fan and my family laugh at me. I think he made incredible strides in technology, some of them good, some of them bad. But at the end of the day, no matter what he could turn wonders with digitally, with iPhones and iPads and computers, He couldn't even fix his own pancreas. He couldn't update it. His pancreas got diseased and he died. And he had more money than I could ever poke a stick at. And yet he lost it all the instant he breathed his last breath. So ultimately, Jesus says, money doesn't give you everlasting security. Finally, really quickly, what does? Putting God first and not being overly concerned about material things is the way to survive a financial crisis in your life. Putting God first and not being overly concerned about material things. We don't have time to unpack this section, and that's why I asked Michael to read the whole thing. 
But in 19 to 34, the Bible contains Jesus' teachings on the importance of putting God first in one's life and not being overly concerned with material wealth. In this section, Jesus encourages us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then he assures us that if we do that, God will provide for all our needs. He also warns us about being overly anxious about material possessions, saying, for where your treasure is, also your heart is. Let's have a look at verse 19 to 21. Jesus explicitly says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart is also. Think back just a couple of minutes to what we were talking about, about spiritual practices that might help us to avoid anxiety in times of trouble. And you'll actually see that those spiritual practices are not only helping us to concentrate on our relationship with God, each of them store up treasure in heaven. Remember what they were? Pray, fast and give to the poor. They are things all of us can do no matter how rich we are. And even if we've lost our job and we can't get another job and we're actually in so much poverty that we're even worried that we can't even eat enough food for, and give enough for our children, even in that moment we can be storing up treasure in heaven. So the Christian is focused on storing up treasure in heaven where the pancreas can't put the joy ride to an end. Nothing can steal the treasure we have in heaven, Jesus says. In verse 25 and 34, Jesus also encourages us as his followers, not to be anxious about our life, what we'll eat or what we drink, about our body or what we'll wear. He says in verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will look after itself. Each day has a trouble of its own. You know, one of the big breakthroughs of the modern wellbeing movement is be present. Jesus has just given us three disciplines in this chapter to be present and encouraged us to be present and satisfied with what we have and that's putting Proverbs 10 and 28 into practice. Avoiding foolishness, contemplating wisdom, praying so that we are swept up in God's plan for the world, not in our plans. Fasting so that we might even deny ourselves some of the pleasures of this world and then helping other people with what we've got. Earlier Jesus said in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, either you'll hate one and love the other or you'll be destroyed by one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And living in the Sutherland Shire is one of the hardest places to put that into practice because we're living in such a materialistic world where money and material things equals happiness. You can't walk through Miranda Fair without being stung by the implications of selfishness that I endured in my youth when I was putting on billabong shirts. How dare I look down on someone else that couldn't afford a billabong shirt, really? But I was so captivated by the image and the future and the wealth and the prestige presented to me by billabong <laughs> that I was swept along by it without thinking. You know, if as a young person I'd been a bit more prayerful, I might have fasted from those kind of things like my mother encouraged me to do. She encouraged me to go with her shopping at Best and Less instead of going in the surf shop. And one day I went along with her and another one of my friends was in the same shop and we both went to the other rack to pretend we hadn't seen each other because we were both humiliated. Isn't that silly? 
But do you have silly versions of that? Is it your car? Is it your clothes? Is it your friends? Is it your job? If they are, they'll make you worry more and more because financial crisis could lead to you losing those things that are most precious to you. I'm not denying the heartache and hardship of financial pressures, but they're a bit easier if you don't worship them, but you worship God instead. So Jesus finishes by saying, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things, to Miranda Fair. And your heavenly Father knows you need clothes, but you don't need billabong. So seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Amen.